What's up, everyone? How you doing? Welcome back. What's up, God? Got a lot of shit to talk about today. What do you think, man? What's going on? How have you been, man? What's going on? I'm keeping it real. Keeping it real stupid, as Chris Rock once said. But anyway, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's just get right into it. Let's not waste any time. Welcome, 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 and one more welcome for the road. Welcome back to another episode of the Anonymous Investors Podcast. This is episode 42. And do you know what 42 is, God? You know about 42? No, I don't know about 42. I know about 69, but I don't know about 42. 42 is the key to the universe, according to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So in honor of that, this episode will be named Deep Thought after the AI that ascribes the number 42 to the meaning of the universe. So there you go. Wow. Very interesting. Sounds almost like horology or astrology talk. Yeah, I think uh, Elon Musk said that one of his favorite works of fiction is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's pretty funny. Uh, I recommend it to anyone. It's pretty cool. But let's just jump right into it. So the first thing that I know you want to talk about, you know, we got football season going on. We've got basketball going on. We're, we're closing in on the Super Bowl, by the way. I do think the Chiefs could possibly take it. Um, we're going to see what's going to happen. We got some games later today and games later tomorrow. Um, so we're going to see. I think the Chiefs could possibly pull it off. Hopefully I'm right. I caught them at nine and a half to one. I mentioned that last episode. So that's been pretty exciting. Um, Mahomes fucked his ankle up, high ankle sprain. You said he's going to be on, what is that, Terol or whatever, that fucking steroid. So we'll see what happens. But, you know, speaking of gambling and stuff like that, uh, you mentioned that there was a big UFC gambling scandal that happened pretty recently. So why don't you enlighten us about what happened there and what's going on? Yeah, so, I mean, as you all know, like, over the past, I would say, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, we saw um, online gambling and online uh, sports wagering in particular um, uptick and rise significantly. And we all know that where there's money, there's going to be some sort of corruption going on. There's going to be some sort of um, people uh, wanting to take advantage of the situation. I mean, you look, you look at um, from 1970, I think, to now, we saw like a 2,800% uh, rise or or uh, basically betting rise, 2,800%. And now we're taking in, I think, close to $500 billion a year annually in uh, in betting across all aspects. So with this, you know, it comes fraud. You know, we see um, all, all types of fraud. Not only we see credential stuffing, which is like people going into accounts, stealing their information and then betting on games and basically getting free rides for their games. But we also see um, this guy, this coach, that he was basically a coach of a UFC gym called uh, James Krause. And he basically teamed up with this offshore sports book. And these sports books, um, they're not regulated by the United States. Um, you know, there's a couple of them, you know, uh, sportsbook.ag, abcbetting.ag. All of these books are based out of, like, uh, the Bahamas, Antigua and Barbuda, um, Costa Rica. So they're not, they're not regulated. And so they're not put under the same stipulations that on onshore sports books have to abide by. So what this guy did was, since he ran a UFC gym where – uh, fighters train at and where fighters you know uh basically train for their fights he was able to see people that got injured before the fight and what he did was he didn't uh report these injuries to uh the ufc and then he would have these injured fighters go go along and still fight their fight and he would he would tell the um sports books that these that these fighters were basically injured so they basically stood um they didn't really stand a chance in the fight and they most likely were going to lose and they caught on to this because basically um, there was like suspicious betting activity on numerous different fights where these fighters trained at his gym. Um, and he basically got caught and they basically halted. They're haltering wagering now in um, two Canadian uh, provinces for, for uh, the UFC. And FBI is now collecting information and interviewing various different people at his gym. And it looks like... Um, you know, he's going to be in big trouble. And the Nevada State Athletic Commission is also coming down on him. And this guy looks like he's going to be going to jail for a very, very long time.
because he refused to notify the UFC about fighter injuries. He put these fighters at risk. And, you know, this is this might be a huge scandal, similar to how the NBA underwent uh, a betting scandal. And I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of people should be aware of what's going on. And if you don't have inside information or if you're not uh, betting on games using uh, probabilities and statistics, you probably should stay away from it. And you probably shouldn't get involved in um, these sorts of things because there's people that know a lot more than you. And you, you should basically be aware of what's going on and, um, you know, not get caught up in this. A lot of people, they lose their house. They, they're, they're betting on games. They're, they lose uh, their wife, their family, their kids because they, they go broke uh, because they have this sort of addiction. And I say if you can't control yourself, you don't have any sort of self-control and discipline, you should probably stay away from it because all these people are in cahoots with one another they're receiving kickbacks um they're giving each other information it's sort of like the hedge fund world there's way too much money now involved in these sorts of sports books and if you don't have the informational advantage you're going to be in trouble and you're not going to be able to uh basically win um doing sports gambling i wholeheartedly agree i think you need edge and if you don't have any edge you should stay the fuck away i i really couldn't agree more um, and we did see this, you know, there are people that, um, you know, the, first of all, let's make this very clear for people if they don't know, there is no penalty for having edge in gambling, right? So you have a guy like Billy Walters, or you have a guy that's super plugged in, that knows what's going on, that has an extensive network. They know a lot more than you, and there's nothing that you could do to stop them from having that edge. That's just number one. Let's be real. Let's make that very clear. Um, the other thing that's really important to consider is that in addition to the edge that they have, they largely have, um, they have these giant, like, well, I'll just put it this way. A big thing that's really important to understand with the gambling is like the sports books and the way that they lay out odds. Like you, you aren't going to get ahead of them unless you have edge. Like we saw in the case of the Bucks, right? Remember the Bucks fell what was it to like 28th best odds after Brady retired. And this one dude threw like 50 K on them or some shit. And all of a sudden they rocketed up to like the third best odds. Remember we saw that it was some crazy shit like that. And he bet, you know, he made that bet and placed it. Um, I think it was like a week before Brady decided publicly that he was going to come back to football. Right. Wasn't that the case? Yeah, so, I mean, if you have some sort of informational advantage that, you know, Tom Brady isn't actually retiring from the Bucks, and that he might come back next year, um, and you basically know what team he's going to go to before the public knows, um, then, you yeah, you would have an informational advantage. Like, But I think a lot of these reporters, I don't think they're allowed to bet, like, say, if you're a reporter for ESPN or a reporter for um, these different companies, I think they have that in their contract, that they're not allowed to bet, they're not allowed to bet on, on these uh, specific games or the games that they, they cover. So I think you should just protect your cold, hard Mazuma, uh, your cold, hard shekels. Don't get involved in this, uh, you know, and basically look out for yourself unless you have an informational advantage. Or if you're going to get involved, you have to pin these sports books against each other because, you know, they're all fighting for business. It's a very competitive uh, environment, uh, sports betting, and they all don't have the same odds because, you know, they're trying to attract people. They're trying to attract um, different clients, different people who have um you know who are basically considered these vip people and so you have to pin them against each other look at look at the odds at each sports book look at all the free bets that they're giving out are they giving any offers any promotions out and you have to take advantage of these these offers um to basically give you the highest chance of success when when betting and you don't get don't get involved don't bet these games that you don't have uh an EV edge and that you're basically it's a negative probability that you're going to lose because you're going to be you're going to be in trouble yeah the one piece of advice i'd give to people is if you are going to bet um typically and i know you've spoken about this ad nauseum is like if a game is live or you're you have a tennis match that's live like that's where you can really find situations where the odds makers fuck up um, there are certain books that will give you favorable odds compared to others. So like in terms of live betting, we know and whatever, we're going to air them out. Who gives a fuck? We've made money from them and whatever. But like FanDuel, for instance, will give you preferable odds for live games or even just in general like futures compared to other books. And their mentality is like, well, we can give you a slight edge in terms of the odds, but we're going to make money off of you in the long run, right? 
They also offer a really favorable policy for cashing out of bets. Um, but more specifically, on top of that, like in my situation, I had the Chiefs at nine and a half to one. I placed this bet way back in March of 2022. Um, it was actually less than a week after the Tyree Kill trade. Everyone thought that this team was going to be horrible. Tyree Kill is obviously a phenomenal receiver, but like the Chiefs easily were able to kind of get that same level of production from some of their other guys. Not, you know, and of course, in that's in the aggregate, right? In terms of individual performance, they didn't get anywhere near that with uh, Juju, Marcus Valdez, Scantling, and, you know, some of the other receivers that they have, uh, Merkel Hardman, right? But in the aggregate, it didn't matter. Look at Mahomes' stats. He actually is likely going to win MVP this year, threw for 40 touchdowns, threw for 5,000 passing yards. Like, he had a phenomenal season. And, it, and the team's success is still there, obviously, because they made it to the AFC Championship. But nonetheless, you know, I think that they were able to replicate the same level of success. So in terms of odds makers, putting them at nine and a half to one odds, I mean, I think that's a little crazy. They're, you know, as long as Mahomes is there, as long as Andy Reid's there, they have Kelsey, they have a strong offensive line, defense is solid. Like as long as they have this offense that's super overpowered, they could take a step back. And they'll still be able to, you know, even if they had 80% of the scoring output, there's still going to be a really good team that's going to make a deep playoff run. And these are kind of things that you have to look at, you know, can they make it up in the aggregate? That That's what really matters. Can they still have that same volume of touchdowns and volume of receiving yards, but maybe spread across a few different players as opposed to one guy constantly being targeted or, you know, the ball being thrown to him. So that's what really matters. Um, but yeah, in terms of gambling, I mean, don't touch it if you don't have edge for the most part. Any money you deposit, this is this is timeless advice that everyone should listen to. Any money that you deposit to a sports book, unless you have like a system and you're approaching things and you're using, like God said, with positive expected value and you can determine that or you're using probabilistic models or you have like a, a system to betting, any money that you deposit into a sports book should instantly be marked as an entertainment expense, especially in the case of futures or live betting or anything like that unless you know that there's discernible edge. Like I know, for instance, God, you were telling me that there was some type of discrepancy in the NBA All-Star game that you hammered, and it was something like, you know, both teams were expected to, the over-under was like 330 or some shit, and there's like five minutes left in the game, and both teams are at like, you know, they're at like 120 each. Like they're not going to put up 100 points in, in fucking five minutes. Like that's not going to happen, right? Or what was the exact details of that? I know that you're – you, you told me this a while back. I'm probably butchering it, but the point is, like, there was some crazy discrepancy where it's like, okay, they're not going to score 10 points a minute or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, there's stuff like that where you take the average amount of points scored per minute. They're obviously not going to score it and be able to score 10 points in a minute, and there's a widespread where they're not going to be able to tie the game, and the game's not going to go into overtime. I mean, I had games where the over-under, on football games, the over-under was, say, 45, and they were already past 45, and they were they were too slow in changing the uh, live odds, and I was able to get in bets that way. And that's basically called, called like, court siding. They don't uh, change the odds but uh, quick enough. That happens very rarely, but that does happen where you basically it's basically a guaranteed win where they're not able to uh, change the odds quick enough, and you can basically guarantee a win that way. Because a lot of these uh, sports books, they use companies like SofaScore and other third-party uh proprietary betting softwares where they get their scores live from them and they don't necessarily send um employees to go like watch each and every game and then like update the score and you know they sometimes they even hire um the ref or the referee to basically hit a button they have well if you watch tennis games this is very uh important in tennis the referee has this um software where he hits the button and he updates the uh, points and sometimes uh, overseas, um, you have these like old tennis reps and you might see a discrepancy there where he doesn't hit the button quick enough. And if you're at the tennis match, you can get, uh, you know, very good odds if you, if you can like, you know, bet live, but a lot of these, these companies are privy to this and they don't allow, um, phones or they don't allow like you to talk on the phone while at the match. Um, but a lot of people, you know, they scapegoat that or they get they get away with it through like growing their hair. They have these like AirPods in and they're able to, you know, uh talk to somebody that's say in America while they're in uh say Russia or uh Nigeria, whatever the tennis match is going on, and they can get, you know, good bets on that way. So like there's a there's a lot of ways to gain an edge, but I mean if you don't have an edge then just just don't do it. I mean you have to 
you it's really like a like a full-time job almost you have to like study the study the odds look at look and see if they made any mistakes are the odds updated are they slow updating the odds and you know bet bet accordingly you don't necessarily need to get you know 25 30 bets off a day just make sure the two three four five bets that you get off are in your favor and you know you'll be good and there's a lot of uh softwares that you can that you can go that basically track odds across um different sports books i know like odd sharks is one of them where you can look at different odds odds jam they basically um show different how different sites you can bet on and basically arbitrage your bet and basically profit uh right away if you're in colorado this is a huge opportunity the spreads in colorado are like eight nine ten percent where you can get uh on an arbitrage bet and a lot of, and this is like one of the best states to be in i would say for like sports betting Colorado is insane how much money is involved in Colorado and how how uh positive how much positive EV you can get in Colorado but yeah a, a lot of these companies you know you're going to be good but it's going to basically catch up you saw this in Europe um at first there was large EVs but then as the market matured you know these EVs started to compress and they got more efficient uh as you know the market matured so this is not going to last forever I mean in the five six seven years when I would guess to say almost the whole entire United States is, you know, sports betting is legal. You're going to see these EVs compressed to like, say, 0.51% per uh, per game. And this is not going to last forever. So if you're in Colorado, I would take advantage of this. This is a huge opportunity to make some money. All right. So speaking of the house always winning, here we go. We had a headline that came in last week. And the headline is dozens of people in Congress beat the S&P 500 in 2022 despite the market downturn. So here we go. We have members of Congress that beat the S&P 500. We have a giant list here. We've got a list of about 20 to 22 different people. Um, we have Patrick Fallon who beat, he, he was up 51.6%. Makes sense. He actually had a big position in oil and natural gas. So that kind of goes without saying. And, you know, energy had a great play this year. Uh, Debbie Schultz up 50%. Another person who played energy this year hard. Um, and some notable people I see on here, Mitch McConnell down 6.9%. The S&P 500 closed out 2022 down 18.2. The big surprise though on this list, I know that, God, you're going to be very surprised by this. This is one of your favorite traders of all time. Nancy Pelosi was down 19.8% this year. Um, but of course, in the aggregate, she's up way much more than the S&P 500 over the last five years. So she actually was down Nancy Pelosi. Way to go. She actually was down more than the S&P 500 to close out 2022. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go, man. Woohoo. Yeah, you know what's funny about that whole situation with Nancy Pelosi? I mean, what's funny about the whole entire thing is she sold Google off in December before um, Congress came is coming after Google now for different antitrust proceedings, and it backfired on her. She knew what was going to happen with Congress, that they were going to come after uh basically google for for their uh, antitrust you know for different antitrust policies and that they were attacking google and google since they've been attacked with the antitrust lawsuit um google's up you know 15 16 so even with the information that she knew it didn't work out for her and it basically backfired for her and uh you know google just powered right through these these antitrust proceedings that are coming after them for the digital advertising business and i think this whole uh thing with google how they have a monopoly on the advertising sector it, it's all a bunch of baloney i mean you see meta has 20 percent share um you even see different e-commerce sites are gaining more and more share i think amazon might might have 25 30 percent share coming up in 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 the next couple of years they're going to be gaining share rapidly because it's better conversion rates if you can advertise to a person you know directly on the site where they're going to purchase from and i think this is a huge opportunity for amazon this is a huge opportunity for other e-commerce sites where they can advertise um because you're going to be seeing apple come after people Oh, Apple's already coming after people with their, um, they're not able to track, um, people across different sites using their Apple AID number anymore. And this is going to lead to people, uh, basically advertising directly on their e-commerce page for different things because the conversion rates higher, you're able to track the per person. Um, unlike when you, unlike when you advertise on different sites, there's no more cookies anymore and you're not going to, you're not going to be able to track them. So, I mean, it's going to be better to just 
do advertising on uh, e commerce sites in general. And I, I don't think this is a good uh, way to go after Google for basically antitrust. You could go after Google and say that they have a monopoly on um, the search function, which that would be a more appealing argument. I don't necessarily agree with that, but at least go after something, at least go after them for something that's, you know, true and has you know it you could present a good legal argument for the case i don't think there's any sort of legal argument the doj could present uh to people to prove that google has a monopoly on digital advertising i just don't think that's the case yeah google's a little bit of a tough situation but this is something i really want to highlight here from this overall report at large um the number one guy on here who was up 51.6 percent in 2022 uh, Patrick Fallon, I mean, he should have just owned it. You know, he he went on the record publicly and he pushed back. He And this is the quote we got from him. My active stock portfolio in 2022 lost nearly $600,000 $600, in value, a loss of 20%. Anyone that says otherwise is wrong. Like many Americans, I've been kicked in the teeth by the market over the past two years. Why are you denying this? I mean, you made energy plays, whatever. You saw the market downturn coming. You saw that inflation was going to get out of hand and energy prices overall would go up like crazy. Uh, as they typically do in a recessionary environment. I mean, why aren't you owning this? Just own it. You know, you made a lot of money, whatever the case may be. But he showed his hand here without realizing this. He says he lost nearly $600,000 in value, and he says a loss of 20%. Well, let's take $600,000 and divide that by 20%. What do we come at? We come at an overall portfolio value of $3 million. Okay, he's got $3 million. Well, why does that matter, Stuntman? Well, let's think about this. If we go over to Legistorm, we can see that his average annual salary is $174,000 as a member of the House of Representatives. So how did a guy making $174,000 a year build a $3 million portfolio if he's only been in Congress for a few years? How does this happen, God? How, how can this be? Why? How dumb is he to show his hand, and how did he build a $3 million portfolio making $175,000 a year? Well, I mean, I think there's you know different angles you could uh, take this at. I mean... He's a very uh, joyful, lively, effervescent, uh, basically jovial kind of guy. We all know um, his preferences in the bedroom. And he, he might be, you know, soliciting some sort of activities, you know, hammerhead pull. So he might be getting his, his money um, in that way. Um, you know, he's a very bubbly kind of frolicsome guy. So we don't know what he, exactly he's doing in his personal life. And he might be using this sort of... Uh, I don't know, sort of like a lavender-esque attitude to basically gain information from people who have it, and that might benefit him. He also has, you know, his connection to Nancy Pelosi, where she knows what's going to happen in Congress and what's going to happen in uh, legislation. Um, she's a huge uh, politician, and she has a lot of insight into what's going on. And th this is why, you know, information is the same thing we talked about before with, with sports betting. Information is key. And this guy has a huge information advantage with Nancy Pelosi and, you know, what with the other hammerhead activities he, that he's doing. And he has basically informational advantage. And that's why if you're going to trade or you're going to basically um, not invest for the long term, you, you basically can't beat these people because they have the informational uh, intel over you. Yeah, I'm online right now. I'm looking for um, Pelosi trades and some updates here. So I guess we'll have to see what happens. But um, yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm looking at a chart right now. I mean, she clearly annualized returns. This was the uh, Nancy tracker. The handle is at Nancy tracker on Twitter. Annualized returns of the best investors in the world. Uh, Ackman, Bill Ackman, of course, 16.9%. Buffett, 20%. Soros, 20%. Peter Lynch, 29%, Medallion Fund, 66%, and Nancy Pelosi, 69%. And, it, you know, it's just ridiculous. Um, growth of $1,000 invested in Pelosi's portfolio versus the S&P 500, and you would have, you know, quite a bit more. Um, so this should be very interesting to see what happens here. But, yeah, it's just a big problem. I mean, evidently this guy's involved, uh, the fellow we mentioned, He's clearly getting money from special interest, or he's clearly getting money in the form of lobbying. It's very abundantly clear. On $175,000, if you saved every fucking penny that you had for 10 years and you didn't pay taxes, you wouldn't have anywhere near $3 million. So clearly he ain't doing that. That ain't how he's making money. He's making money uh, you know, from the people who are lobbying. And it's very clear what's going on. Um, people really need to get 
riled up about this. This is super important. We need to get rid of these fucking people, the elites doing this stuff. And as you mentioned, there's some other elites that have been convening, and maybe you could speak a little to that and about these other shitheads. Yeah, I mean, uh, at Davos, it's basically this party where they it's in Switzerland, and they send all of these people um, there to discuss uh, worldly affairs. How could how could they affect worldly affairs? How could they progress the globalist agenda? And you have people like um, bankers go there, investment bankers go there, um, people from Silicon Valley go there. Um, basically, these world leaders, these politicians go there. All different kinds of people go to Davos and this World Economic Forum uh, to basically get together, discuss what's going on, and basically decide how to progress uh, the world and make the world a better place in, in their eyes. And this presents some challenging problems because these uh, global leaders or the, uh, from business, politics, and you know civil society are you know controlling the world and doing what they feel is best at the expense of the ordinary and daily person and they're having these private meetings um with each other and they're trying to control um what's going on and they're not you're doing what the common man wants and this is a whole big grift too they charge if you want to basically go to davos they charge these pe- these people that are supposed to be leaders two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a piece to go attend this um, World Economic Forum. This is a huge big grift. Um, I forget the guy's name who runs this um, this thing. What, what was his name again? The guy that runs this? Do you remember the guy's name? Uh, what was it? Uh, which guy? The guy that runs the organization. Of Klaus Biden. Schwab. Yeah, exactly. Klaus Schwab. Fucking bozo. Klaus Schwab. I hate that fucking douchebag. Yeah, this guy Klaus Schwab, he's a he's a complete and utter uh bozo, and he ba- he basically receives two hundred fifty thousand dollars from all these people. He hasn't done anything in his whole entire life. I don't know why he feels like he has the privilege, uh, to basically get that much money from all these people. And it's a huge, huge grift. I don't think they have, you know, much influence over the world. I, I don't believe these uh, you know, conspiracy theories that are coming out how they're trying to control the world. And it's, you know, the Illuminati and all these people are in a room controlling, controlling, you know, controlling the world and putting their uh, presence on the world. I don't believe that. But I think it's just a huge scam and it's a huge grift. And he's lining his pockets at the expense of these people who want to feel important. These celebrities, they go there like Will I Am. They want to feel like they're leaders and they feel important. It's a huge ego stroke to these people to go to these events and feel like they're important. Meanwhile, they're basically being parted with their money and they're being scammed for their money by this guy Klaus Schwab. And this guy Klaus Schwab, he's a complete and utter bozo. And I think these people shouldn't be attending these events and they should basically realize what's going on. And Klaus Schwab is uh, a character uh, in and of itself. He doesn't follow the Bible. He doesn't follow the Quran. He is a haram-like character. His activities on a daily basis are haram. Haram! Exactly. He's a haram guy. Oh, what's this? Eight predictions for the world in 2030. Oh, I'll get into this. No, no, I'm going to get into this. All right. So uh, I I, uh, I do agree with your assertion that the World Economic Forum is uh, clearly filled with these fucking bozos. All right. I'm just going to call them as it is. Complete, utter fucking morons that I'm not a fan of. But the list got out. There was a dossier that was leaked. Um, and I mean, this is this is terrific. You know, we have... Um, uh, I know this. You're big with this guy, uh, the Substack guy. We've got a lot of independent journalists. He's empowering them through Substack and his whole platform. And you know, we're starting to see the rise of um, yellow journalism come back, where you know the muckrakers are coming back and exposing the corruption. And it's you know, it's really a great thing. We need to support independent journalists more. And you know, you can do so on Substack. And you, know, you got guys like Matt Taibbi going out there. Great guy, Glenn Greenwald from the Guardian. A lot of great people are out there. Um, you know, that's a big thing with journalism is like a lot of these people, they get maligned because they work for these big networks or they work for, uh, you know, the leftist uh, media or the, the right, ultra right wing conservative media. We have some figures we want to talk about later. We'll get into that at a later point. But, um, you know, in this case, we've got Jordan from Substack from the dossier is the name of his uh, publication exclusive. The dossier acquires confidential list of Davos attendees. So. This will be very interesting. We've got the FBI director, Chris Ray, who 
went to the event. We've got the CEO of Amazon, Andy Jassy. Uh, we got Larry Fink from BlackRock. We've got the Pfizer CEO. We've got the top officials from the Gates Foundation. We've got the top officials from the Soros Open Society Foundation. That's very interesting. And we have the publisher of the New York Times attending the World Economic Forum uh, Davos event. So, you know, clearly every spy in the world went there. Yeah, of course, you're right. Uh, and we've got central bankers going, uh, you know, governmental head honchos and international organizations in order to facilitate, facilitate their top-down vision for technocratic tyranny or tyranny and what they call stakeholder capitalism. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, um, I, I agree with this guy's assertion. I think a lot of these people, look, if you want to meet and you want to discuss things, I think it should be done, especially in this position where you're very powerful. Uh, why don't you meet in a public forum? I mean, yeah, everyone has a right to privacy, but, you know, clearly there's an agenda being pushed here for the World Economic Forum to try to sit here and pretend and to posture that they don't have an agenda they want to push. Now, when I use the term agenda, people instantly freak the fuck out. But everyone has an agenda inherently. Right. If you're if you're generally a good person or you would be perceived by the overall public to be a good person and you have certain things that you want to see society do. You have an agenda, right? So agenda is to me, I look at it as more of a neutral word than a negative word. But these guys, they clearly have an agenda. They clearly have something that they're working on. And that's where this video that I've you know, pulled up for you, I mean, this is something that was put out by the World Economic Forum. Uh, let's entertain this and let's talk about this. They've got eight predictions for the world in 2030. Okay, right. so I actually have a video here from the World Economic Forum. It's eight predictions for the world in 2030. God, feel free to commentate this for the people who are listening through audio. Klaus Schwab says you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Whatever you want, you rent and will be delivered by a drone. Sounds pretty good, reasonable, quick, efficient. The U.S. won't be the world's leading superpower. and U.S. will always be a superpower. Fuck China, fuck Russia. Handful of countries will dominate. Nope, only the U.S. will dominate. You won't die waiting for an organ donor. Okay, not bad. I mean, I think most people would like that. We don't transplant organs. We'll print new ones instead. Okay, not bad. You'll eat much less meat. No, not eating meat will make you weak, will make you uh, feminine, and you'll turn into a soy boy. An occasional treat, not a simple for, the, not a staple for the good of the environment. A billion people will be displaced by climate change. I don't believe it. I think climate change is overrated. It went from global warming to climate change when they realized that um, the Earth is actually getting colder and not warmer. Polluters will have to pay to emit carbon dioxide. That sounds reasonable. They have an effect on the economy. They should pay some sort of tax if it affects, you know, the economy going in the future. There will be a global price on carbon. Okay, not bad. You could be preparing to go to Mars. I think, yes, we should prepare to go to Mars. Scientists will have worked out how to keep you healthy in space. The start of a journey to find alien life doesn't sound bad. Western values will have been tested to the breaking point. Okay, I mean, I think we do have, you know, Western values are going overboard with feminism. Checks and balances that underpin our democracies must not be forgotten. Sounds reasonable. Okay, so that, you know, there's some reasonable, you know, uh, motivations for this and some things that are totally insane. Yeah, so I just want to break this down, okay? So the first thing that they say, we did kind of gloss over it, but the first thing they say is you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Um, that sounds to me like you don't really have a choice. They're telling you you'll own nothing, as in it's a matter of fact, not a matter of opinion, right? Or a matter of free choice. You'll own nothing. And you'll be happy, not you could be happy, not you might be happy. It's you will own nothing and you will be happy, right? Because you'll is just you will, but it's sort of, you know, abridged. You will own nothing. You will be happy. That sounds like it's forced. Um, that sounds like they don't like ownership of private property. And to me saying you will be happy is forced compliance. Do you agree with that uh, definition? Any pushback? Any uh discerning uh, excuse me um dissenting opinion there yeah i mean i think you know individual liberty individual property individual freedom i think it's you know tantamount to the constitution of the united states i don't think we should be going against that i think people should should have the right to ha own goods and services i don't think we want to go to this um sort of uh you know false society where you think you know communism could work and where you know everyone's it's all rainbows and and happiness i mean you don't want everyone to be happy all the time you have to go through some sort of struggle in your life in order to have true internal happiness i mean you're not going to just naturally be happy um you have to know what it is to be sad in order to know what it is to be happy and there has to be um this sort of uh you know it, it seems like you know this sort of a utopia and it, it's really a dis 
dystopian society and it's not going to work people should have the right to own property and we need to abolish this sort of narrative and we need to hit it right on the face of it because it's it's going to benefit a few people at at the at the expense of you know the whole entire world and these elitists they don't seem to understand how the world thinks they want to push their narrative on people and you know they're commenting on these sort of socio-political and economic issues um and they're totally off base they they don't even know what the hell they're talking about i wholeheartedly wholeheartedly agree um second point they make then they say everything you want you'll rent as in a matter of fact you won't own private property right that sounds that sort of ties into that first point that i made the second point they make again um, they're they're presenting this not as they said predictions right they go eight quote unquote predictions for the world in 2030 the second point they've and by the way they took this video down you can't they have a youtube channel they have a facebook they have a twitter where they put out their little predictions and their you know propaganda pieces as i'm going to call them they took all this shit down so this is shit that was recorded it was captured by the individuals who saw this and said what the fuck is this shit and they saved it and people try to act like we're the conspiracy theorists but this is the information they put out to the public i mean it's not you know second point i digress but the second point here the u.s won't be the world's leading superpower that doesn't sound like a prediction to me that sounds again like a matter of fact it, the tonality in presenting their argument is suggesting that these are matters of fact the next one a handful of countries will Wait, dominate. go back to that one go back to that one i have a lot to say about the word a handful of countries will dominate that sounds to a hand think of it a handful of countries will dominate and control everything that sounds like communism to me. That doesn't sound like Americanism or individualism. Yeah, well, let me just comment on this 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 phrase that the U.S. won't be the world's leading superpower. This is total utter propaganda. I mean, these people they they're arguing that the United States is a sort of mess and China's system is a much better system and that the United States is a sort of for democracy. It's total and utter nonsense. China is. I'm just going to interrupt you here. Can I just say this quick? Can I? you sorry sure. I, I hate talking over you but i do want to just interrupt you um and maybe this is something that you did not know so i will interrupt um klaus schwab the head of the world economic forum you've seen this guy a lot of conspiracy theorists have branded this guy like the leader of the new world order or leader of the illuminati whatever right this guy and you could look this up i want you to fact check me anyone listening to this do not take this at anything beyond face value say oh this is Stonkman's matter of opinion and label it as a matter of opinion until you prove it's a fact but this is this is what i've seen he has publicly klaus schwab the head of the world economic forum has publicly praised china's handling of the coronavirus outbreak okay so what does that entail china went into crazy lockdowns they built incinerators to burn bodies of the people who supposedly died of covid um they did contact tracing where they used facial recognition software to identify people who might have been exposed to COVID, forced them into the apartment building, weld the door shut so the people can't leave because they have COVID or they might have been in contact with someone who had COVID. Then there's a fire, 30 people die in the fire, and this guy comes out and praises China for their handling of the coronavirus. And the authoritarian measures that they took to enforce the policies of a virus that killed less than 1% of people who contracted it. And it's been proven that the 1% figure that they're throwing out was largely overstated. Yeah, I mean, you could go into the fact that now there's been studies that came out. Um, this isn't verified by the CDC, so you're allowed to say this, that the shot loses its efficacy after two months. So the whole idea that you were going to keep people inside and stop the spread of uh, the virus, it's not true. That's not the case. I mean, we, people aren't going to take booster shots every six months. Um, we also saw um, certain news sites come out with the fact that um, Pfizer and all these different companies were actually mutating the virus themselves so that they could, they could turn um, the coronavirus into the flu and they could basically have the vaccine ready because they were the ones that were going to be mutating the virus. And back to this whole thing about China. I mean, China doesn't even come close to America in, in wealth. It doesn't even come close to America in military capabilities. And the United States is long, long, long above China. Um, they have they actually have long-term economic growth prospects. And the United States is in a very good position um, geographically. 
they have this sort of natural military fortress. They're not near Russia. They, they're landlocked um, with countries that are, are in support of the United States. They're packed with many different resources, and they have um, these sort of uh, economic arteries at their disposable at their disposal. They have uh, natural waterways and ports that you know basically are superior to the rest of the world, and. China is not in is not in a good position. They're 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 going to meet their demise. They, they, there's no way they could beat the United States institutionally. It's a mess. China, the United and the United States is you know the best country in the world, and China is one of the worst countries in the world. I would say, and I think you know they they're going to meet their demise. Another thing too, I don't think people understand this of why the United States is supporting Ukraine in you know Russia Ukrainian war. Um, if you look at um, other war, wars and how oil was of tantamount importance, such as like the Iranian uh, Afghanistan war and the war with Iran. We have another material that Ukraine has a large disposal of, and this is why I, I don't think people have all the uh, intel and information on why the United States is supporting Ukraine. They say, oh, we should leave Ukraine, we should let Russia take over Ukraine. No, that's not the case. There's two factories in Ukraine, uh, Ingas and Koyawin, they produce 50% of the supply of neon. And you could get neon other ways. Uh, it's a byproduct of steel production, but the United States would have to ramp up, uh, you know, the collection methods of of basically collecting the neon, and they would have to redo their whole steel steel manufacturing process, um, which would be cost a lot of money, um, you know, and it's a, it takes a long time to do that. And neon is one of the key components needed to produce semiconductors and we all know that semiconductors are going to be used in weaponry in the future and that semiconductors are the brain of of modern day electronics so this fall of ukraine uh is would be not good on a national security level for the united states and i think the united states has to protect ukraine at all costs because if they let ukraine fall to russia russia would control 80 percent supply of uh neon and that would be very very um you know, bad for the United States in producing these semiconductors. They wouldn't be able to do it, and they would meet a huge military demise. And I don't think people know that. I think people, you know, they keep saying, oh, we shouldn't support Ukraine in this war, but there's a lot of things, or a lot of reasons why the United States should support Ukraine. And I don't think people are looking at this at a holistic level. They're, th they're saying, oh, we're wasting so much money. Uh, you, you know, we shouldn't, you know, support other countries. But there is a national security benefit to the United States supporting Ukraine. Um, in this war, and we can't let Russia control eighty percent of the supply of the world's of the world's neon. I mean, you're hitting the fucking nail on the head here. Here was the next point that was covered by the World Economic Forum, and this will be the last thing I want to touch on. Just sort of pick the top three of the ones that we feel are the most fucking bullshit in this list of quote unquote eight predictions. You know, not of uh, our agenda. If they, you know, it's all about framing. If they go, oh well, these are just predictions. These aren't, you know, no. If, it's a prediction of what you want to do. Okay. So it's not a prediction. It's this is what we want to do. This is our narrative, right? This next point, you'll eat less meat. You'll eat much less meat. It'll be the occasional treat, not a staple. Okay. Well, how do you think people have developed? Here's another thing I want to bring to the public light here. And I know that, God, you'll find this amusing. But here is one of my friends right here who put this on Twitter in case you need to lose a boner fast. And it's a picture of, uh, Bill Gates with his gut hanging out, you know, the Bill Gates is lecturing the public about, um, you know, our health and what we need to do. This is one of my good friends put this up, Mr. Mr. Twit himself, uh, my man, Elon Musk, in case you need to lose a boner fast with 1.3 million likes, of course, I mean, went viral, super viral. Here you go. This is Bill Gates. This is your leading public health official right here. He's got man tits hanging down to his stomach. He's got a gut that hangs over his belt. And he looks like the pregnant guy emoji. I mean, you know, you know, this is who you're going to take health advice from. This is who's involved in that World Economic Forum. This is the guy pushing his meat alternatives. The other thing I did want to mention, I'm going to see if I can find it here, is that there are a lot of people who don't realize, but these meat alternatives, they actually have tested these uh, meat alternatives with lab rats, and the rats are getting fucking cancer, which is unbelievable. It is hilarious. Here we go. Uh, from GMOScience.org, rat feeding experiment suggests that the Impossible Burger may not be safe to eat. You know who's a big investor into meat alternatives and the Impossible Burger and you know Beyond Meat? 
Oh, not other than Bill Gates, of course. Right, at a glance. Blah, blah, blah. They say that like hemoglobin, SLH derived from genetically modified yeast causes rats to get cancer. And it says it led to unexplained changes in weight gain, blood, inflammation, or kidney disease, and possibly anemia. So that's good. We should have more people eat meat alternatives so that they can become fat fucks and then they'll become sick, right? Don't you think? God, what do you think about this? Well, we all know why they don't want us to eat meat. I mean, there's various different studies on this, but vegans are, they're weaker than meat eaters. That's, that's the fact of the matter. Vegans don't receive enough protein and they're more uh, susceptible to breaking bones. They're weaker people and they want to make men weaker. They want to make them into women and they, want, they make women into men. And that has to do with uh, slowing down, um, you know, rep slowing down reproduction. And they think there's a sort of overpopulation problem, but I don't believe that to be the case. I don't think we're necessarily at, at the level where overpopulation is a problem. I understand their concerns um, because, you know, you see crop yields um, not meeting the uh, population growth level. So they do have a valid concern, but we're not at that level yet. And I think they need to, you know, respect the family unit. Exactly. Respect the family unit. They want to destroy the family unit. And we can't, we can't allow that. We need meat. And I think people should eat meat at least every day. It should be done at least once a day, if not two, three times a day. You have to have meat in every meal. It's essential. You become feminine without meat. It's just something you have to have. And if you're a vegan, I feel sorry for you because you're a weak, you're a weak individual. Uh, vegans are for uh, women and children. Men are not vegans. Yeah, I think meat is essential. Um, if you actually look at evolutionary um, studies that have been done, you look at guys like David Boss, you look at, you know, guys like uh, Brendan Lieberman from Harvard. I mean, these guys have extensively studied that the uh, overconsumption of meat has led to human uh, development uh, being expedited. So if you go back tens of thousands, 15 to thousand, you know, 10, 15, 20,000, even up to 25,000 years, you can see that human development was expedited by the consumption of meat um, and through hunting. So for people to suggest otherwise is ridiculous. I mean, meat has become such a staple and important part of the human diet. To suggest that you can get enough uh, nutrients without it is completely foolish. Um, I'm not entirely opposed to vegan diet for some people. I think some people uh, fundamentally you know, they might be fine, but I, I know plenty of cases where people went vegan or vegetarian and they had like numerous problems, people I'm very close with personally. And, um, you know, it's something you really need to watch out for. You need to be cognizant of it. And as far as what you said in destroying the family unit, I think it's very clear that that's what's going on. And at least that there is a section of the population that wants to do so. Um, and I don't feel that people who want to homeschool their kids, I don't think they're wrong. I think, you know, maybe they want certain values instilled in their children that certain institutions do not, or maybe they feel that certain institutions are diametrically opposed to the important lessons that their kids should be um, learning. Um, particularly one lesson I'm not fond of is the idea that everyone's a winner um, and everyone gets a participation trophy. I know that, um, you know, I don't have kids now, but when I have kids in the future, any participation trophies they get will uh, promptly be returned. They will not be allowed to accept it. You know, in life, there's no there's no reward for second place. I mean, if you're going for a job, you're working on a big project, it's, you know, it's first or last, that's it. You have to outperform everyone. Um, you need to put your time in, you need to use the tools that God gave you. You need to use your wisdom, you need to use your intellect. You have to leverage your talents and abilities to put yourself in a position to, to become a pillar of your community and to lead by example. And there is no reward for second place. And that that's life. And that's it. Everyone can't be a winner. The reason why there are winners is because there are losers. And the reason why there are losers is because there are winners. And fundamentally, that has been true. That is just a biological fact. I mean, the fact that you're here listening to this episode of the Anonymous Investor Podcast, episode 42, episode 42, the reason you're here listening to this episode is that, guess what? Your ancestors were winners, right? They won biologically. They kept reproducing. They had more people and more people had more people and so on and so forth. And now you're here listening to this. So you're here because you come from a lineage of winners. And I recommend that you insist on being a winner yourself. You take life seriously, start to act as a pillar of your community and become the person that you want your community to be. Um, become a net positive force for the world. And, you know, 
a lot of that will come from not falling in line with certain things that are being taught and told. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I wouldn't want, you know, people in the military not eating meat. I could tell you that. I don't think most people would wouldn't want people in the military eating meat. Do you think the Taliban um are vegans? Do you think they're vegans when they're when they're fighting against the United States? And I don't think we should be pushing this sort of vegan agenda. I think we should, you know, convince people that meat is the way to go. And you know, it's it's just a matter of fact. People who eat meat are stronger than people that don't eat meat. I mean, if you don't eat meat, you're at risk of iron deficiency, B12 deficiency. Um, you're most likely anemic, and your muscles are just going to waste away. And that's just the fact of the matter. And we have to realize that meat is the way to go and oh what's this story about the taliban i know i just mentioned the taliban earlier what's this the new supercar yeah so the uh this is fucking crazy to see by the way this is insane you know everyone knows the taliban and uh some of the shit that they do but they actually have this new supercar that they're releasing and it's the first supercar or first car act overall um made in afghanistan that's going to be sold to the rest of the world it's called the Mata 9. Take a look at this. God, look at this. I mean, it's, you know, I don't, Taliban, I'm not the biggest fan of. I hate to say it, but, um, I mean, it's a nice car. This is a fucking sick car. If they could make it look like this, this is pretty wild. So the Mata 9 will be Afghanistan's first indigenously made supercar. That is pretty crazy. Um, so no one saw this launch coming, and now they can't stop talking about the Mata 9. Yeah, look at this. The Taliban unveiled the prototype here. I'm going to zoom in so you can see this. So you can see this Afghan, uh, you know, Taliban soldier and some other guy. And look at that. I guess that's the prototype of the car. I mean, it's a pretty nice looking car, man. Um, so obviously, the Model Nine comes from a war-torn and dirt-poor country whose ruling militia is best known to use Toyota pickups and SUVs for personnel to drive around the country's rugged terrain. Um, you know, Afghanistan is very mountainous. That's why the U.S. had problems there. That's why the the uh, Soviets uh, had problem there. The uh, Soviet Union had problems in Afghanistan taking it over and controlling it because of the mountainous region. Um, but yeah, they used these Toyota vehicles in, in the past, and that's sort of been their vehicle of choice. So they actually designed this to be a four-cylinder. Um, so it's not going to run like a supercar, but it looks like a supercar. So it's designed to be reliable. So they actually took 30 of these engineers. Yeah, see, the new supercar is embedded with a four-cylinder engine. The same one that powers Corolla, which is one of the Japanese car manufacturer Toyota's most popular models. Um, and why they like that, again, is that it will be reliable and it will have the looks. Um, so in terms of actually taking this car and putting it on a track, I mean, a four-cylinder, this thing is going to get smoked. So in terms of specs, it's not going to be that good. But in terms of um, looks and reliability, if that's what you want, then it would be a good car. It would be like a pretty decent car. But yeah, this is kind of what's been going on. Um, I heard rumors that this was in development long before the Taliban took over. Um, and now the you know that the Taliban took over, they took these engineers, they're like, yo, expedite the production of this car. And now they want to release this to the public and sell it globally. Ob obviously, I think the Taliban are sanctioned um, and they're you're not allowed to do business with them in the U.S. So if you are a U.S. citizen, you own this car, or you do business to get this car, you're you're violating um sanctions and you know you can be i believe you can be punished for tyranny i think that's one of the punishments so um but nonetheless we'll see how this goes the taliban are releasing a car i mean this is fucking insane uh, when people think of the taliban they think of this uh religious fundamentalist militia that is you know loosely affiliated loosely organized and doesn't really have any uh you know weapons or, or developmental tools at their exposure and now i mean look at this car i mean the this is great. This is a crazy car, dude. This is fucking nuts. It kind of reminds me of a Corvette. I mean, this is nuts. Well, I'm saying advanced weaponry, right? They they have AK-47s. Now they have M4A1s and uh, carbines and M16s. But, you know, they don't have advanced weaponry, right? They don't have weapons that are, uh, you know, they don't have drones, right? Like they don't have fucking tanks and whatever. But they, they actually do have this stuff because the U.S. left it behind. But prior to that, they did not have exposure to these things. So that's all I'm saying, dude. That's all I'm saying. Um, but so for them to be able to develop a car like this is kind of wild. I mean, even just look at look at the picture, dude. Uh, I recommend you go online, go to the Instagram ENTO PCO, and you can see there was this post that was made where it's a Taliban soldier, and I think these are two Taliban soldiers. I think the guy to his left is is wearing. Um, uh, U.S. Army issued stuff, 
I, I think that's, yeah, I think this is U.S. military boots, pants, and, you know, some other stuff that was left behind when the U.S. fled Afghanistan. But, like, look at this car. I mean, this car's crazy. Black rims. Uh, you know, lo looks pretty, you know, design-wise, it looks good. But, obviously, uh, I will not be purchasing it. I'm not going to support the fucking Taliban. So, yeah, I mean, this is wild. What do you think, God? What do you think about the development of this car and kind of what's been going on in Afghanistan since the U.S. left? Well, I mean, production is one thing. I mean, I, I mean, prototypes are one thing. Production is a totally uh, s separate thing or separate issue. I would like to see how long this takes them to actually produce. I mean, Apple has been saying they were going to uh, they have a, Apple has had a prototype for years and years and years, but they actually haven't, you know, made the car into production. So, you know, production is very complicated. We saw that with Elon Musk and Tesla. It took them a long time to perfect perfect uh, production and scale it up. And so this might take a while. I don't think this is any any time soon going to be produced. This car, uh, the the Model Nine, from you know the Taliban. Um, and I, I don't think a lot of people have. I don't know how rich. I think it's a you know how rich of a society Afghanistan is in general. I mean, there are some people at top who could probably afford this car, but I don't think this is going to be a wide scale production car. This is probably going to be like you know they're going to sell a couple hundred, kind of like a Ferrari, I would guess. Um, and that's just what they're going to do. I mean, and you mentioned earlier about, like, you know, weapons and everything like that. Yeah, I mean, they do have a lot of weapons. I mean, it's it's one of the most, uh, don't you, the don't most arms trafficking happens is in Afghanistan. They traffic most, most of the weapons to, you know, different African communities, different insurgent groups. So, you know, they do have a lot of weaponry um, in Afghanistan. And, you know, the United States left a lot of weaponry behind. Yeah, they, they sell heroin, heroin as well. I mean, they, they do have the... Uh, a pretty good economy um but they do a lot of illicit illegal stuff so i mean you gotta you know weigh that so i don't know how many people are gonna be able to afford this car going forward it might take a while to you know get this car to production but i mean it looks like a good car to me from you know the way it looks i don't know exactly the specs of it how many horsepower it is um you know what kind of different components it has i would have to take you know a closer look at it yeah i totally agree i just want to play this short clip for you um pertaining to one of your favorite actors uh, that's been very popular lately uh, so here we go. This is a tweet from a uh, we'll short little detour. We'll get back to our main segment here. Uh, Patrick Bet David put this up, and he says, and the Oscar goes to, and uh, let's just see who the video is about. Here we go. Let's jump right in. Maybe you could describe to the people what's going on here. Right now on screen, we have this autistic kid called Greta Thunberg. Uh, she looks like she's in very cold weather. Her cheeks are red. She's posing next to two police officers. I believe they're from uh, France or Germany, one of the two. I don't, I'm not necessarily sure. She's wearing this Nike designer bag, and she says she's a victim. And you know, But she has um, these bags that are made in factories, which exhibit coal. So she's wearing Nike material, um, which I think somebody of her, that's kind of hypocritical to do that. She's now posing with these police officers um, who are wearing these sort of vests. Um, that, you know, bulletproof vest. I don't know why they're wearing bulletproof vest in this coal mine or coal field. And they're now grabbing her hand in a very aggressive manner to pose for pictures. Uh, this is basically a photo opportunity. Yeah, photo op right there. You can see the Nike bag um, across her, her uh, shoulders. It's kind of satchel-like. And she's just a hypocrite in general. And I think, you know, she, all these uh, photo opportunities, I think she's going to pay for it in the end. And I think Allah is not going to stand for this. All hail Allah. Haram! Yeah, I think that a big thing that people don't realize is that Greta is a part of the... All right, so let's get into the other two yahoos that I did mention that I wanted to talk about. And I mentioned previously that they were political figures. And I know these are two guys that you're very well acclimated with, Stevie Crowder and uh, Ben Shabino, Ben Shapiro, of course, from the Daily Wire. So what happened with these? Why were they fighting? Yeah, so, you know, in conservative land, we, we saw this kind of uh, fight kind of uh, brittle up. And this sort of uh, Stephen Crowder and Ben Shapiro, as you mentioned, Ben Shapiro, Carol, the owner of the Daily Wire, have gotten into this sort of tiff with one another. And it all stemmed from uh, Ben. Well, basically, Stephen Crowder's contract with The Blaze is coming up. And he's looking, he, he hired an agent and he's looking for different platforms to sign with. 
So he went to the Daily Wire and asked him for a deal or to provide him them with certain terms for a contract. And he didn't like the terms of the contract that Daily Wire were proposing to him. And they offered him $50 million um, for four years or $12.5 million a year. And that's not uh, so. That's not the money solely going to him. Out of that fifty million dollars, he has to pay for production and the twenty-five staff members that he has. And he didn't like the terms of how every time, uh, if he would have got a strike on YouTube, if he would have got a strike on Facebook, if he would have got uh, banned from Twitter, um, if he would have got demonetized from YouTube, then money would be deducted off the top of of the fifty million dollars. And actually, if you read the terms of the contract, he can end up owing 110% of his contract. So he can go into the negative on this contract if he if he gets um, a lot of strikes, a lot of demonetization and such. So he can end up going into the negative, which would be a huge problem in and of itself. And basically, he called out Ben Shapiro's hypocrisy um, and how he's uh, basically going along with big tech. He's supporting big tech. And, and on the other face of it, he's saying we need to, you know, protest against big tech so he's basically calling ben shapiro a hypocrite in that regard but my thing is right if you don't like the terms of the contract just don't sign the contract do your own thing start your own uh conservative outlet or conservative platform and you know you don't necessarily have to sign with the daily wire if you don't like the terms don't sign start your own platform start your own thing like the mug club etc and you know be a competitor to the daily wire if you don't like it and that's that's how I feel about the issue. And I don't think he should be doing these sorts of things in the public and in the media. And I think the left is basically joyous about what's going on. You know, they see this sort of infighting between the conservatives and they're probably jumping up and down. And I think, you know, he, he Stephen Crowder needs to like chill out a little bit, not be as aggressive and realize that, you know, it's just a term. It's just a term sheet. He could have negotiated it more with the Daily Wire and he could have went into a long process. I know it's sometimes it's frustrating to go through these sorts of negotiation processes and things like that. But I mean, you have to be patient. It takes a long time to negotiate with, you know, with the with different uh, people. And he should realize that, it, you know, it, it might take time to get the terms that you want. But yeah, I just think he should be calm, you know, be collected, not go on this sort of tiff and just, you know, politely decline the offer and do his own thing if he doesn't like the terms. And I don't think he should be, you know, uh, recording people. He did record conversations between um, the Daily Wire CEO and himself, and he exposed that to the media. I don't think you should be doing that. I think that's very unprofessional. I mean, he has the right to do it, but I just don't think it's very professional in this manner. And I think this is a bad reflection on him if he wants to get a deal with any other sort of... Uh, media outlet because they're going to look at this situation and think oh what if he turns against me in the future then they're going to look bad so yeah i think this is a whole debacle and i'm looking forward to seeing how it unfolds congratulations you played yourself yes yeah, stephen crowder um i i think he did play himself why would you announce that someone gave you a contract you didn't like that's very stupid just reject the contract be gracious about it be uh you know be happy that you were offered the contract. I mean, why just bash the contract? That's so fucking ridiculous to me. Um, you know, he called it a slave contract, which is hilarious. But, I mean, ultimately, you don't have to call this guy out. I mean, you don't like him. He's a competing entity, which I get, right? So, of course, he's going to say that uh, Shapiro and Daily Wire is in bed with Big Tech. I mean, are you ridiculous? I mean, Shapiro was banned for... Um, he was banned for the same shit Crowder is. You know, you're stronger together. Don't. There's no need to bash someone who's your contemporary. I'm not a conservative guy by any means. I mean, I don't really like either of these guys um, in terms of like. Oh, I think they're good for. I think they're good, right? It's important for these guys to have a platform and to be able to have public discourse and to be able to communicate their message at large to the public. I don't agree with a lot of their points fundamentally, um, but look, these guys, you know, they need a platform, right? So for Crowder and him to fight, I think is so stupid. You guys have more in common than you have less in common. Why wouldn't you just get along and, you know, talk through some of the issues with the contractor? Just frankly, just decline the contract. I mean, it's very simple. Um, you know, just decline the contract, move on. And one of the other things that I saw that I really feel like I should mention here is that, okay, let's say you have a problem and you, and you don't want to sign with Daily Wire, okay? And if you're Crowder, and Crowder has this, is this issue, I don't watch Crowder a lot. I watch some of the clips here and there. but And I and I know, God, I think you might watch Crowder a little more and, and you're familiar. I know some of the people we know that have we have mutual, uh, you know, we have as 
mutual friends. They're big into Crowder. They're in Mug Club. They love it, right? They're part of that whole movement. Um, so what I don't understand is if you're Crowder and you're facing a lot of censorship or what you perceive to be a censor, I, he gets fucking banned all the time on YouTube. I, I, I see it all the time, right? It's always in the headlines. I see it on Twitter and complaining and whatever. Okay, so go to Rumble, right? I mean, I think he's on Rumble. I think he has the numbers on there. Um, Rumble hasn't been taking anyone down. You've seen guys like the Pacers are on Rumble, uh, you know, whenever they're inevitably, uh, I don't know what the fuck's going on there, but at some point, They'll go back to, oh, Rumble CPM is only, oh, yeah, it's like two cents per. They, yeah, so it sucks. Okay, so you make less money. All right, so then go to um, go to Locals, right? Go to Locals and have people support you on Patreon. Go to Substack. Go to Rumble. Like, there are other platforms that are coming up. You can't, like, the YouTube CPM is really good, right? So maybe you put up with the bullshit, but then you say, guys, like, anything happens to us on YouTube, you know to go to Rumble, go to Rumble, blah, blah, blah. And you just keep putting out the same content on YouTube. And it's like, okay, you'll have less money, whatever the case may be. But his show is not overly complicated, right? And when we think about it, all it really is is it's him and a panel of his friends talking and sharing opinions. Do you need a lighting guy? Do you need an audio guy? Maybe you need an audio guy, camera guy. Get a, get a, get a Jamie, right? Rogan runs the biggest podcast in the world. He took the deal with Spotify, made well over $100 million from what I've been told. Actually, possibly closer to $200 million. Um, and he's a two-man show. He's a two-man operation with a guest. Okay, so for Crowder, maybe you do you and your friends, and then occasionally you bring a guest in, but you really don't need much besides one room where you have audio input and you have maybe four or five mics. I mean, you these microphones, these are the uh, Shure uh, M370s or 870s, whatever the fuck they are. I mean, these are $300 microphones, right? They're one-time purchase. Maybe you, you, know, you have maintenance wires, whatever. And then you hire an audio guy and you pay him, I don't know, 100K a year or whatever. Maybe if that, if that, he's just doing audio and running cameras, it's not that complicated. So what I don't understand is like, why do you need all these people working for you? Like, why are you building it out into like a company? It's like, you're just doing a show. You do it a couple times a week. Maybe you bulk film, you film in one day. Um, you have your friends, of course, you want to pay. Maybe they get equity in the company, equity in the business. And the public at large, I mean, he's got Mug Club. Uh, public at large will support you. Maybe you direct people to your website where they pay, you know, 15 bucks a month, $20 a month, or even as little as like $10 a month. And they support you there. And, and he's clearly got a large following. He could easily do that. So again, upload to YouTube. If anything happens to YouTube, you got rumble. And then, I mean, you know, then you have your own platform ultimately, if you don't want to do rumble, there are so many different ways to survive nowadays. Like you don't even have to be beholden to YouTube. Maybe what you do is you get big on YouTube. Then once they, kind of go after you because you're not playing ball with them then you build out your own platform your own infrastructure we spoke about this with red bar red bar does the same shit man he's making real he's making pretty good money on his own website and just pushing people to the website so much so that he literally says the youtube channel means nothing to him it's just serving as a place to put up his quote-unquote commercials which are these like short films and short videos that have a call to action at the end directing people to his website so again you can build out your own thing it's a lot more work and it's not as easy as just getting the YouTube money. But again, your your views aren't congruent to YouTube's and they're going to fucking censor you. And it, it sucks ass, but they're just they're going to keep doing it.